opening up episode 272 of Monster Kid Radio with a song from a band out of DeLand, Florida. The band is called Giant Robot Richard, and the title of the album is in binary. It's 01000101. You know what? I'm just going to put a link to this in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. I did run their binary title of the album through a binary converter. It converts to EP1. The song... It's called Get Off My Helicopter. You can buy it over at giantrobotrichard.bandcamp.com. The EP is $4. Check it out after you're done listening to this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. You know, there are a lot of monster movies out there, a lot of movies in general, but a lot of monster movies out there that I haven't seen. And one of my favorite things to do when it comes to this podcast is watch some of these movies that I haven't gotten around to watching just yet, covering them with somebody who is familiar with the film in question. Now, I don't know who I'm going to talk about this week's movie with. I mean, kind of winging it on my, wait a minute, what's that? Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Stuber, man. Yeah, I'm being joined by Joe Stuber from the podcast Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. You can find him at comicbookcentral.net. Now, he's been on the show before. We went through all of the Abbott and Costello Meet the Monsters movies. We did Hold That Ghost, and we covered Monster Bash together back in 2014. This time around, we're going to talk about a movie that is firmly in his wheelhouse. 1951's Superman and the Mole Men. It was a feature film release that was designed to launch a television show. And, well, since that show is in syndication and has been for years, you know the film was successful. Was the film successful for me, a monster kid who had never seen it before? You have to stay tuned to find out. You know what? Why don't we just dive into that? And a little special extra content. But we got some trailers to get to first. Let's do that. The whole town seems deserted. That monster's on the loose right here in town. Anybody catch sight of this thing? Well, a few kids playing in the street said he was 20 feet tall, covered with long hair, and had great big teeth. Behind these empty streets, these windows shut in fear, lies the strange story of a young girl who knows the secret of the teenage monster. Fascinated by an evil demon, unable to control her sinister desires, she leads the monster to his prey, sacrificing an entire town to his insatiable lust for human life. I don't like to be stolen from her. I don't like to be laughed at. Oh, but it's not going to happen anymore. Because Charles won't let it. He'll kill anybody who does. Even you, I think. <gasps> Joe Martindale came in this morning. Lost six of his blooded steers last night and a rider. The steers had their throats torn out and the rider, Bill Begley, was beat to death. It's a thing again. I'll meet you back at the office. I'm going to have to go, Ruth. You stay in town. That thing's loose on the range again, not 15 miles from your mind. What was it? It was that thing. Harry and horrible. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. I saw him, the monster. He ran away from this barn carrying the girl. A posse in panic, not knowing what they'll find. Man, beast, or demon from another world as they pursue the loathsome killing thing they call the teenage monster.
tune in each fortnight to the IndyCast, the world's number one Indiana Jones fan podcast. Trust me. Featuring the latest news, reviews, and interviews with on-screen and behind-the-scenes talent who help bring to life the greatest adventure movie series ever made. Each episode has the latest from the world of Indiana Jones, as well as interactive segments, trivia, contests, and specials, including radio dramas and music retrospectives. The IndyCast. It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. Available in iTunes or listen directly at theindycast.com. If adventure has a name, it must be The IndyCast. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. A podcast about Hammer? I don't want to be the one to cross Tony Stark. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Oh, so it's not Justin Hammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. This is the dawning of the Age of Colossus. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Dr. Charles Forbin. In a few moments, Colossus will address us directly. This is the voice of world control. I bring you peace. It may be the peace of plenty and contempt, or the peace of unburied death. The choice is yours. Obey me and live, or disobey and die. The frightening story of the day man built himself out of existence. Colossus, The Forbin Project. It's making you a prisoner. Shock, horror, suspense. Created with all the technological brilliance of 2001, a space odyssey. Colossus is the ultimate in sophisticated computers. I'm going to try to convince the computer that you're my mistress. That therefore I have to be given the opportunity to see you regularly in private. That way we can pass information back and forth. Four times a week. Good night. This is insane. When do you think you'll be able to attempt the overload? Colossus sees all, senses all, knows all, controls all armaments and all defenses. When this emotionless creation becomes the master of man, the result is catastrophic. This is 
Supreme Council of the USSR has ordered as of 2300 hours Moscow time tomorrow the activation of an electronic brain exactly like ours, which they call God. They built Colossus, supercomputer with a mind of its own. Then they had to fight it for the world. The missile has just been launched. It is heading towards the Sayan Sibirsk oil complex. Guardian has retaliated. Retaliated? It may be too late, sir. Oh, my God. been so long since I've heard his voice on Monster Kid Radio. We were talking right before we started recording. It's maybe been a year and a half, but he's been in my ears the whole time because he's the producer of the incredibly cool podcast, Comic Book Central. Welcome back to Monster Kid Radio, Joe Stuber. Who is this? Is this you? Who? who? Derek? <laughs> prank caller, prank caller. <laughs> Derek. It's been so long. <laughs> it's been way too Brother long, man. It has been way too long. Look, you're in my ear. I'm in your ear. But this is now we're like in each other's ears. This is awesome. At this is what we want at the same time. <laughs> this is cool. I love. We have been talking about this for quite a while. A, a long time. I mean, yes, we wow. But that just makes it better, right? Anticipation. Just sure. Early Simon song here at some point. <laughs> <laughs> But you've been knocking it out with Comic Book Central, and I want to say publicly here on Monster Kid Radio, Comic Book Central, one of my favorite podcasts. I'm loving what you're doing. Uh, recently, you did an episode with one of my Star Trek crushes, Miss Visitor. Oh, that was God, that's such a crush of our on her, man. Crushes. Yeah, she's amazing. Plus, that character mm-hmm. is one of the coolest in Star Trek. I mean, there's a lot of great characters in Star Trek. Yeah, but not Visitor. I love her character on that because it's so different than a lot of what's on star trek right now i had such i had such a mad crush on her when i was watching deep space Nine. <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was embarrassing it was pretty rough um, no she was fun man that was a that was a great a lot of star yeah we're doing a lot of star trek 50th this year i know and i've got a star trek episode coming up i mean it's a 50 year anniversary we got to do something we got to celebrate yeah yeah hey there's more coming up on comic book center i will let you know that but yeah even herb solo that was fun like going way back to oh, the beginning that this was guy, cool I don't know if you've ever read his book Inside Star Trek. Mm-hmm, it's I have. Like, oh, and I'm like, whoa! Like all the stories you think you know, it's, you don't know anything about Star Trek. This guy was in the back corners and the hallways and the meetings and the office. I mean, he was in on, from the beginning. And he did Man from Atlantis too. It was funny during the interview. He's like, I've done other things than Star Trek. You know, it's like I know. <laughs> You know, and I also wanted to let listeners know about an episode you did in April, episode one twenty two. He had a cast member from Escape from the Planet of the Apes on your show, Eric Braden. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I went ape. We went ape on that show. Well, you not as much as you do. Well. Because uh, I love the – I'm loving the ape segments on Monster Kid Radio. But, yeah, yeah that was fun. So, listeners, you got to check out Comic Book Central. I think there's a link in the links section of the website. If there's not, I'm going to add one by the time Joe and I are done talking. It will be there. But it's comicbookcentral.net. Check it out. Yeah. And you and, and Scott were, were great in that because I, I – um, what was it uh, Colossus? Like I, I wasn't aware of – and you guys had just been really into the ape stuff going on. I'm like, you know what, guys? Throw me some questions. And it's like you gave me some cool apes questions, but then you know, you guys were like, Colossus. I was like, what's that? And I, that was not a movie that I was familiar with. 
and I watched it and it was awesome. And I got to talk to him about it and you guys were feeding me questions. So yeah, that was like a nice little tag team effort there. I, I love throwing things out to you guys like that and, and getting your, your nerd knowledge coming at me. Well, that was mostly Scott, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, no. you guys are fun. We need to get to, we need to get together all, all of us together and uh, do something. So yeah, but this is fun. No, I appreciate you doing this. Man, one of my favorite characters, e- easily my favorite comic book character. Oh yeah. Superman. I was wondering if he, you know, where you fell when it came to Superman. I know sometimes people are like, ah, you know, he's boring or whatever. But a lot of people really love him. So he's your favorite, huh? He's boring now. Oh, wait. Was that Oh, loud? wait. What? Sorry. Huh? <laughs> Sorry. Was, are we recording? Is there a Superman now? I don't. I don't. I, no, look, he is my favorite comic book character of all time. My favorite fictional character is obviously Indiana Jones. I mean, you know, we do the indie cast and sure. other ventures and all that. But for comic book characters, it's Superman. Yeah, I know. It's kind of one of those things where it's like he's all powerful. And even writers are like, how do you write for somebody that's all powerful? And the, But there's just been so many different variations throughout the years. Obviously, even this one is completely different than a, a lot of other versions of Superman. But man, I just love the character. He, how can you not? He's Superman. He can fly. He can do anything. I was born in the early 70s. So growing up, my Superman was the Superman movies, you know, Christopher Reeve. And I, I fell in love with those films. I used to watch Superman 2 every single night on my beta machine drove my parents nuts my mother would always ask me aren't you ruining the movie for yourself like no i love it look at zod he's great oh man not so cool you know it just gets better well every we would do that in theaters like when it was out in the theaters it would go to the second run it was the bantam four cinemas uh, (laughs) it's such a strange place there were three cinemas and then the fourth one uh, they showed porn movies (laughs) We go, it's a very skeevy play. I know. Yeah, yeah. But we'd go in, and so, like, in the summer of 81, it would be in Theater 1 was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Theater 2 was Superman 2. And so for Buck, you'd go in. Oh, wow. We'd watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, and we'd walk right across and see Superman 2. And we did that. That was our life. That's how much nerds we were. <laughs> we just watched those movies on a loop all that summer. So we had every line memorized. But, yeah, that that's my Superman, Christopher Reeve. That was, you know, you will believe a man can fly. I still do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Donner. I mean, everything about that. Well, if you anybody listens to Comic Book Central, you know I've had like a ton of guests on from the movie, and I pretty much go fanboy on them. I try to rein it in, but it's tough. <laughs> You've been doing a good job. I haven't noticed. Well, <laughs> <thanks>. <laughs> I try. I try to rein it a little bit, but yeah, when you get Sarah Douglas on, it's just like ah. Oh well, yeah, yeah. You you do that those movies, but that said, I mean, we're we're going to be talking about you know not Christopher Reeve but George Reeves right uh, today, and my goodness, it's just. Two totally different, but insane amount of value in this era of Superman. And really, this when you think about like superstars like Jerry Seinfeld, I mean, you know, he's, he loves Superman. It's the George Reeves Superman. That's what locked him in. That's his Superman. You know, ours is Christopher Reeve, but that you know, for Jerry Seinfeld, that's where his love of Superman comes from. I was going to ask you how much experience you have with the George Reeves Superman. I mean, I've, I watched a few episodes here and there, but it was never something that I would seek out. If it came on, I'd watch it. Yeah. What about you? It was in syndication, when, you know, in the fifties. Um, so obviously, by the time I'm watching in the seventies, you're you know you're watching. It's like part of the Batman '66 with Adam West. It's the Spider-Man cartoon from the sixties. It's the Superman, you know, TV show from the fifties with George Reeves. So all those things were like blocks after school, you know, that I would watch. Oh, so okay. I would see them all the time. Yeah, I caught all these things all the time, and I and I loved it. You know, when the Christopher Reeve movie came out, it, that was the game changer. 
you know, everything on TV looks like TV. You know, the, even the Batman thing, we just, we could always play Batman. But then you see the spectacle on the screen and it's a whole other thing. But just from a nostalgia perspective, I used to watch the, the Superman shows all the time with George Reeves. Yeah, I loved it. And yeah, they didn't have the super villains. You know, it was a TV budget. You know, you didn't have Lex Luthor and you didn't have all these different things. But man, uh, oh, George Reeves as Superman is just amazing. I mean, he really is. And we'll talk about the Clark Kent Superman personas that he brings to it. Completely different than, than a lot. Uh, but yeah, I, I loved it. I love the show. And I've got, you get the DVDs, you can watch them. There's extras, there's interviews, there's all kinds of stuff. So yeah, good stuff. I purposely avoided watching any of the older episodes leading up to this, which meant I haven't watched it in about a year and a half. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I purposely avoided it because I wanted to come into this movie as fresh as possible because I knew just from my limited experience that the Superman TV show started a little bit more serious and then started getting a little more lighthearted as it went. And I wanted to come in as fresh as I possibly could. And I'm glad I did, but it was still an adjustment, kind of almost a, a culture shock to see that Superman and specifically that Clark Kent and then referencing him back to what I grew up with with Christopher Reeve because they are completely different. Okay, so you're coming in kind of cold on the George Reeves era. Then. I, I tried so like, to, yeah. I mean, you've seen the episode somewhat, sure. but I mean, for the most part, I mean, this is kind of new and fresh to you. Well, that's a, well, that's kind of your take on Planet of the Apes too, right? You're coming in mm -hmm. new and fresh. So yeah, it's kind of neat to talk about, like, because I've got this background with this show, and that's kind of neat to get your perspective as you're coming in for the first time. A really different era of Superman coming in too, because when you think about it, Again, when you go back and you get the DVDs and people pop in and it's like, oh, look how cute that is and, you know, how quaint and the special effects aren't that great on the TV series. And here they're even <laughs> less money spent. So you're really digging deep. Uh, you think about coming out of the Fleischer cartoons and the serials from the 40s and you had Kirk Allen in the role. It completely serials and features completely different. The serials and we're talking about, you know, the 15 chapters. These little bite-sized things that would get kids coming back into the theaters every week. Just slam-bang action. And it just, you had to keep them coming back into the theaters. Feature film, you get to do a little more character development. Even in this one, I see like a morality play kind of coming into it a little bit too. So, you know, you're coming into a completely different era with this. And this was shot as a feature, Superman and the Mole Men, shot as a feature uh, intended to eventually launch it as a television series. And that's how all this comes into play. So this was the first time that Reeves played Superman on screen, right? Yeah, this was the first. I mean, they cast it because, I mean, when you're watching, there's no Jimmy, there's no mm -hmm. Perry White, there's no Daily Planet. We, we start off with uh, Clark and Lois already on site you know, to, for the, to do their investigative reporting. So very bare bones. I mean, they hadn't even cast uh, those other two roles yet. Uh, they cast George Reeves. And depending on which reports you believe, Kirk Allen said that they had approached him about the role. I mean, some of the books I've read say they, they didn't even consider him because he would already had already done this. They wanted something completely different. So you come in. Noelle Neal had played Lois in the serials. She will eventually play her again in the TV series. But for right now, we have Phyllis Coates, who I think is uh, amazing as Lois, completely different Lois uh, than Noelle Neal played in the series. Uh, but those are the two main characters, and they kind of just go through. And then, of course, the Man of Steel, Superman. You get that dual role with George Reeves. But, uh, yeah, I think he really pulled it off. I'm not saying I didn't like it. It was just so different from what I expected. I mean, Different some, in what way? Like, Well, some different... of the quips, I saved you. Well, it's more than you deserved. You know, that sort of <laughs> A little darker than you yeah, thought. Maybe. It was a little yeah, darker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I liked it. I mean, it was just different for me, and, and I dug it. And it made me think, 
again, you know, I look at these older movies and, you know, you try to think about the time in which they were produced and what the audience might have thought at the time. And you mentioned morality play, and that is so woven into this story. And to have Superman being that voice, I was on board. I dug it. I would watch more Superman movies in this mold if there were more of them. We came close on two of them. What I found out, there were plans for two other features as the show got more popular. And one I saw was Superman and the Ghost of Mystery Mountain, which I don't see a lot of it out there, uh, a lot of information on it out there. And then Superman and the Secret Planet, which was, I think, toward the closer toward the end of the series run. You know, and unfortunately, George Reeves' death, and I think they were negotiating for the final season of Superman. Anyway, uh, but one one thing that's really cool, if you do want to see what another Superman feature could have been, uh, if you Google Superman and the Secret Planet, Randy Garrett, artist, uh, he put together like this comic book format. I guess there's a script out there that they had planned on doing another feature with George Reeves. But he did this comic book, basically, of the script. So that's kind of out there. But, um, yeah, once the show took off and it became such a huge success, they just, they just focused on the TV show, which makes total sense. I mean, you've yeah. got regular advertisers coming in and all that. So you're going to make more money doing television. And I'm sure I've read the merchandising was insane. Yeah. Well, here in Columbus, they had, they had a Superman exhibit at the uh, Ohio History Center, I believe it was. And so they had George Reeves' original suit, one of the original suits that he wore, which is incredible condition. Wow. Yeah. So if you go to the, uh, it's Comic Book Central Facebook page. I think I have a whole uh, album of photos just from that. But you also see some of that merchandising you're talking about from that era. And they also play the um, – they had the video there of the George Reeves uh, stamp. Uh, he did a, a thing for um, – uh, yeah. I think it was for the Postal Service. I think they had the video running there. It was kind of set in the era of the 50s. They did like a 50s exhibit and they had a mm-hmm. 50s house and 50s cars and thing. And then they had this as part of it. Uh, so it was really cool. So it really put you in that era. But yeah, you talk about that time frame. You talk about advertisers, Kellogg's, uh, for the TV show and all these different things. That's kind of where this movie falls into a weird area. And when I say weird, like I really like the area in which it falls. You're coming out of those noir movies from the 40s, those two-fisted action-adventure crime uh, you know, movies, the black and white, you know, all those different things. And you're kind of coming into the friendlier 50s with this. So – there's kind of like that weird mix. It wants to be like a noir film and then also like the science fiction 50s, which is where we get the Mole Men and you know right. things like that. But it's kind of like it encompasses a lot of different genres all by being around 1951, uh, which is kind of cool. I think it's I think it's interesting. I do like the different styles. And I was going to comment on that, too, because there's a lot of back and forth between Clark and Lois. It feels like it could have been out of a Thin Man movie. It's <laughs> kind of the rapid fire. Boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom. Which I love. I mean, Thin Man is one of my favorite films. So to have that, that pattern, that style, I really respond well to. To have that in a superhero movie, I mean, that's fantastic. You got the superhero stuff. You got the investigative reporter stuff. You've got classic sci-fi elements here. Even with the score, you know, the music sounds like something out of that sci-fi era. I thought that, yeah, that was uh, by was it Daryl uh, Calker and Walter Green? I believe so. Did the music? So. Yeah, I thought the same thing with that fifty sci-fi. This came out, I think, uh, late 51, November 51. But you had like the man from Planet X was in March of that same year. And then, of course, the day the Earth stood still. Right. Just a few months before in September. So I found like a lot of similarities in these films. That's sort of like, here's this unknown. I, I don't know. Are these aliens? Are they creatures from the space between spaces? <laughs> to make an Indiana Jones <laughs> reference. I don't know what they are. Are they mole men? They, they're hairy. But, you know, I don't know what they are. But there's kind of like that element. And then, of course, you've got the, the pitchfork and, and torches 
insane mob aspect of it coming in. Right, which is like a universal movie from the 40s or even the late 30s. So you've got all yeah. these different elements kind of coming together. Yeah. I mean, who says you can't tell different types of stories with superheroes? This movie is evidence of it right here. Superman can do it all. That's, well, that's why I love him. That's why we go. all love him. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I did not set that up for Joe, but. No, excellent. of course not. <laughs> the moment. The reason we're talking about this movie, or the reason I'm justifying talking about this movie on Monster Kid Radio, is there are some monsters <laughs> in it, and, and I want to talk about the Mallmen. I thought they looked pretty cool um, for what they were. Okay. That that may be where I'd start to go. Okay. Yeah. I just – I they're interesting. Um, yeah, we can talk about the actors <laughs> who played them too. But I thought – like wasn't there a movie with John Agar, like the Mole Men? The Mole People. The, the Mole People. Which is a great film. But they looked like mole people, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, admittedly, I haven't seen it, but it's like the makeup effect. Again, the budget on this thing was nothing. And they were also using the monies that they had to hopefully fund an additional 24 episodes of the television series. So, you know, they couldn't spend a whole lot. But, yeah, I mean, they're little people actors uh, with bald caps and furry hands and turtlenecks. <laughs> I... Creepy. I'll give you yeah, that. There you go. That maybe that's. I mean, they looked just alien enough. The yeah. you know the mole people you mentioned. The, the mole people in that movie. The actual monsters. I mean, it's a full on bodysuit, makeup, hands, the whole bit. Right. This one, they obviously couldn't do that. But I really enjoyed that they still had some human like quality to them. And then you start weaving that into the morality play aspect of this, where. You know, you're just afraid of them because they're different. Don't let your fear rule you. And I don't know. I, I responded to that. I did see the seams a little bit, you know, where the bald cap kind of connects to the head. <laughs> I think the intention was greater than the execution. Yeah. But I still liked them as a monster design. Yeah, I guess if you go back to 1951, especially yeah. it's it's got a pretty cool score. And those scenes that we talk about, our pal Beverly Washburn. Oh, I was going to get there, yeah. We had a chance to interview. She said, you know, they were creepy. Yeah, those scenes where they're coming in, they they are creepy. I just, I don't know. I would have thought, and again, maybe there's even a reference in there of like, we don't know if they're human. We don't know what they are. So maybe there was a thought to like keep them more human in appearance. I don't know. But they are creepy. I guess you go back to 51 and it's, you know, peering in through windows and dun-dun-dun music. And, <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, – they, they are effectively creepy. When you start seeing that's a prerequisite the, for Monster Kid Radio, isn't well, it? Well, yeah. Well, maybe. Kind <laughs> of. Sort of. <laughs> creepy and kooky, mysterious and kooky. There you go. There you go. When you start seeing them more in mass at the end, they kind of lose their, their creepiness. They become a little <laughs> bit more normal. Just because there's so many, you know, there's three of them now walking around instead of just one kind of hiding in shadows or whatever. You see them walking around and they become more normal. And towards the end, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, some old men. Yeah, but it seems like, like some sort of German them. rock band from the 80s or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> With the turtlenecks. The little turtlenecks in their bodysuits. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, when the but the when the ones just kind of like trapped, mm-hmm. um, and I'm thinking, um, I think it was Jerry Marin. I think was the one that was trapped. He was, uh, of course, the in the Wizard of Oz in the Lollipop Guild. Uh, but I think when he's trapped, he's kind of isolated by himself, and they're chasing him down and everything. That's a, like a really powerful scene. There's some. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff going in there. So I kind of like really felt for that creature at that point too. So yeah, there's. I agree. When they're by themselves, they're probably. Uh, a little more effective than when they're all just like kind of marching down the street with a giant vacuum cleaner. 
That was an awesome ray gun. What are you talking about? <laughs> the Electrolux oh. 2000? Yes. <laughs> Again, I think the intention was greater than the execution. <laughs> take out the bad guys and clean up your entire living room in minutes. See, they could have had a sponsorship uh, merchandising advertising deal right there. Yeah, forget Kellogg's. Yeah, there There's you go. Electrolux right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely you, definitely the budget uh, comes into play. I think it overall it's and look, it launched the series, so it was it was effective. Oh um, sure. I think even Phyllis Coates when they were brought in, you know, because obviously you you know we read a lot about George Reeves and you know he had, he, you know, he was apprehensive about taking the role at first because it's you know he was. They needed the, he needed the money. It's a paycheck. It's you know he was doing B movies at the time, um, so you bring him in. It's like, boy, am I going to be typecast? And yeah, at the time, yeah, that's exactly what happened. But he, Jack Larson has mentioned this, who ended up playing Jimmy Olsen in the series. It's like everything they were being told was, look, this is never going to go anywhere. Just go in and pick up the paycheck, and you'll be done. And it's never going to go anywhere. And I think it was Phyllis Coates who had mentioned she was in it was in Scotland or something on vacation the following year, because there, there's a time lag between when this movie was in theaters and when the when they finally got the money to, to finish off all the episodes and it aired um she saw it playing overseas and it's like she was she was like uh-oh this is this is gonna be big <laughs> yeah. she knew this was gonna be big and it certainly was so there's no jimmy there's no perry white they make reference to white but i don't think jimmy's ever mentioned at all now lois has a, a camera and she said, like, how am I going to get pictures? And Clark has to remind her to, like, to use a camera that she brought, which was a bit strange. But, um, yeah, I guess she, she is Jimmy Olsen in this. I don't remember that being what she did in the, the few episodes I've seen. Only when you don't have enough money to cast Jimmy. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, it's bare bones. I mean, they're shooting. Look at the set. I mean, they're shooting out in this little area. You've got a couple little sets, but that's it. Um, you've got your, your two stars, and that's really all the money you've got. You know, and don't forget, you've got to fly this guy around, which coming out of the serials with Kirk Allen, I don't know if you, how much experience you have with those. They're great. I love them. But the flying scenes are animated. It's just a cartoon. It's just Superman is a cartoon, and he starts here, and then it becomes a cartoon, and then the cartoon lands behind a car, and then Kirk Allen runs out. So that's what they were dealing with. On this one, they want, they did, to their credit, I know it's on a budget, and I know it's on a shoestring budget, but to their credit, I think some of the flying elements work. And they work better as they got into the series, but you actually see him taking off in Superman in the moment. There is one animated moment, but there is that one moment in, is it an alley where he jumps up and then you hear the sound effect of flying through the air? Yeah, I thought it worked really well. And yeah, I mean, they're moving the camera around the ground to kind of show that he's traveling or whatever. But I thought it worked for what it was and I bought it. For the kind of movie that I'm watching, I totally bought it. Yeah, I mean, you actually see him take off. So he's rigged on wires. So the, yeah. the, the takeoffs and the landings, he's rigged on wires. They eventually, there there was a mishap. One of the wires broke in this, and, and he fell and hurt himself, or, you know, slightly. But that happened a couple times in the series, and eventually George said, we're done. And that's why you see, for the most part, when you do watch the episodes of the series, he's jumping out a window. He's jumping off a ladder off screen and, and doing the landing. He's not on wires. He's not rigged up for most of the series. He got hurt a couple times. Uh, and we see that in, in here. Well, I mean, we don't see it, but with those wires, there was a mishap on one of them. And, yeah, you mentioned one of the flying scenes. There, there's a slight bit of animation. As Just real quick. Yeah, Superman's kind of rescuing one of the mole men as, he, as he's shot and falls off the dam. I didn't think it was – there's just a few frames, so it wasn't jarring to me. Hey, you know, if we can buy Bela Lugosi turning into a bat through animation <laughs> – <laughs> you know, exactly. I'll, I'll I'll take this. I'll buy that. Yeah, 
you go back to those movies and that's really what you had to deal with. And they and I think they shot this whole thing in 12 days on the back yeah. lot. I mean, yeah, they're really running and gunning this thing. So for what for what it is, I think it, it looks great. I thought it was shot really well. I mean, you were talking about the kind of coming out of the darker film noirish. There were some of those elements there, but everything seemed crisp. Everything seemed just well shot. I don't know who the cinematographer was on this. I should probably look that up. But I was pretty impressed with how it looked, and especially knowing that they only spent 12 days on it. You know, the kind of setups they had to put together to get as much as they could out of their locations. Yeah, and that's well, you Very think about successful. The, yeah, the director was uh, Lee Sholem, and the, his nickname was Rolem Sholem. <laughs> I love it. So that should tell you a lot. It says he, in some of the research I did, he directed upwards of 1,300 shows, both features and TV episodes, without once going over schedule. Wow. A feat probably unparalleled in Hollywood history. He did direct 14 episodes of the series. All right. And Phyllis Coates is Lois in the first seasons. There's an episode called Night of Terror. If you get the book, uh, I believe it's Superman Serial to Serial. So S-E-R-I-A-L to Serial, C-E-R-E-A-L by Gary Grossman. Great book. Uh, there's a picture of her taking a punch in that episode. It says, actress Phyllis Coates was accidentally knocked out cold by a fellow actor. Sholem promptly revived her himself and hastily had her finish her scenes before her face swelled up. There's a picture of it in Gary Grossman's book, Superman, Serial to Serial. Yeah, that picture. She, she's out cold. She's even said this. Uh, and he was just like, finish the scene. I guess there's a way he was able to finish on time and under budget. Wow. I know. That's, um, Isn't that crazy? Wow. That's a craftsman. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. Wow. They were really moving fast on the shoot. And they were trying to get this in. They got the series. They got picked up for the series. They end up getting the money for it. They shot the episodes. By the time it aired, or by the time the series aired, they were going to go to season two. Phyllis Coates had already, she wasn't sure if the series was going to get picked up, so she had already moved on to another project. That's why Noel Neal came in. Uh, but you see this particular movie broken up into a two-part episode in season one uh, of The Adventures of Superman. So, All right. Yeah, chopped down a little bit. So it's, it's there. It, it became... You know, the only two-parter in the show's run. When they did it on the television, I understand that they did change the musical score and they kind of cut a few things here and there to make it fit TV. I'm glad I got to watch it as a film as opposed to watching it as a two-parter because I feel like it works really well as a film, as an overall story. It's better. I would, If I were recommending, I would say watch it. Well, I mean, that's the way it was shot, too. I mean, this was the introduction to it. I mean, obviously, in the, in the Superman TV series, you have his introduction. I think it's Superman on Earth. He's the first episode. Yeah, as you're going through, but um, I would definitely recommend watching this as the movie. I'm actually playing it while we're while we're talking about it too. All right, it's oh, just yeah? so strange. I get the, I, to the scene where they, uh, the night watchman, the pop, mm-hmm. and he's uh, eating the oranges. Why is it? Have you ever figured out like why oranges mean death in movies? I mean, you think of like The Godfather and things like that. It's like oranges always symbolize death for some reason. Huh. I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah, there's always if you do oranges and death, and it's like Godfather. Anytime somebody's Getting oranges or eating orange or something, somebody dies. So poor pop. But yeah, that's you know Lois and Clark are investigating this, this oil well, the largest oil well, the, the deepest, yeah, the, deepest, the deepest oil well. Mm-hmm. Okay. And apparently, the makers of this film were subscribers to the hollow earth theory. Yeah. Was that the was that the Jules Verne? Um, I I think so. Maybe. Okay. The Jules Verne. It's, theory, it's the, actually mentioned in the mole people as well. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. It pops up a lot, and apparently the center of the Earth is only six miles deep. Yeah, I, I, yeah, 
<laughs> I couldn't tell if that I was something either, that they actually believed. I mean, or this is 1951. There's yeah. no way they could have thought that, right? There's no way a drill could go down 4,000 miles. I would think or so. Or 3,994, whatever. There's no way it could go down that far, but six. Because <laughs> Lois is like, that's the center of the earth. And I thought, oh, well, they kind of write that right. off as like maybe her being silly. Like, oh, silly Lois. But then they mention it like several other times. We dug to the center, right. the, the hollow center of the earth, six miles deep. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, we can't. No. Like, really? No. <laughs> to find no. these critters. <laughs> But it, it, once, if you can move past uh, that, it is kind of an uh, interesting thing. Yeah, you get into this thing where these these creatures are down there. We don't know what they are. We don't know if they're human or alien or what. It's never explained, and that's kind of like the the cool aspect of really good sci-fi is that you don't really have to have something explained for you. No, that actually adds that edge of fear to something. You just don't know. If you can identify if you can label it and name it, it kind of takes the edge off, I feel like. I don't think they even refer to them as mole men um, in the Lois movie, Lois says they? they look like moles – like I'm like thinking, well, what moles have you seen? Okay, it's like an actor to me. <laughs> yeah, it's a little strange, but it's kind of like, but they all they are furry. Okay, I'll give you that. Whatever. Um, sure. I think they took that reference out in the television version of it because I think it's called is it the unknown people? Uh, yeah, the unknown people. The um, part one and part two. So I don't think they call them mole men. In there, but again, you're going into that sci-fi fifties when you've got you know Day of the Earth stood still and all these different things and you know the poster and Superman and the Mole Men and its creatures and it's what are they and it's sci-fi and you know so I think that played into the the, the feature film aspect of it a lot. Sure, no, I, I thought it was great. I mean, it's a catchy title. It makes me want to see it. And yeah, they're the Mole Men, even though they never are called that in the movie. Radium is involved in the film as well, and I thought again how interesting to have this element from some of the classic 50s monster movies radiation yeah coming and isn't into that, a like, superman wasn't that story. always the the big danger of the 50s of you know like a, well, and even some of the, right. the greatest superheroes you think like when they get their superpowers it's something like an irradiated spider or you know irradiated chemicals or something you know and that we don't know how it works it just yeah. does stuff and so there's a menace there too uh where like everything these creatures touch glows like they glow and things that they touch glow and they're digging down and they find, uh, you know, the foreman, you know, finds uh, – that's basically the, the setup when we're coming in is that they've, they've dug down so deep that they're starting to find, you know, this radium or whatever. It could be hazardous. So we're shutting it all down and that's when Lois and Clark show up and it's like, well, why are you shutting it down? That's not for you to know. Well, yeah, try telling that to two investigative reporters. <laughs> it's not going to fly, especially Superman. <laughs> he's going to – you know, he knows something's up and then he's just right. like, like – yeah, he starts digging a little bit deeper. When they were burying the tools, I don't know. And this is maybe my ignorance coming through here, and I'd like to know. When you find something that's irradiated, it could be dangerous, you just bury it? Is that what they did Hide back it, then? Cover it up. Sweep it under the carpet, whatever you want I, to I, do. I guess bury so. It deep, yeah. Maybe? Well, and it's like, you know, if that information gets out that they dug so deep and they found these things, could that cause a, a widespread panic. I mean, look when, you know, things happen, you know, these creatures come oh, okay. out, look what happens to those townspeople. They lose their minds. So if they think there's radiation there and, and Superman is even concerned if one, you know, they kill one of the creatures and he falls into the reservoir, it could pollute the water. So there, there could be an element of just, you know what? It was buried deep. Let's bury it deep again. That's kind of how I took it. Um, but you know, Clark sees okay. that they're burying these tools and doing something and shut things down mysteriously. And this guy's like, "I'm not going to tell you why." Well, yeah, he's you know, Clark is going to dig a little bit deeper and find out what is what is under that that well. Clark is a pretty good reporter in this movie. I, I never associated Clark with being a great reporter yeah, well, in the films. You're referencing that I grew up the Christopher Reeve films, 
Okay, where Christopher right. Reeve and Richard Donner chose, and again, putting it in that era. That's how the comic books were at that time. John Byrne hadn't taken over in the 80s yet and, and made Clark a super cool dude. That was the perception then, was that Clark Kent was the disguise and Superman was who he was. And you know, put on this disguise and I got to jump into things sure. and I got to be a klutz so nobody can figure this out. And and that's an interesting take. Now, here's the thing. When I interviewed uh, Dean Kane for Comic Book Central, I asked him about this. And he said his performance, mm-hmm. you know – you know, obviously, he brought everything in based on the script that he was given and brought his own take to it. But like his Superman was Christopher Reeve, but he never really liked the bumbling aspect of Clark in those movies and in the comics and a lot of the, the, the different things we saw. But he based his Clark Kent on George Reeves. And that was the thing was that because – Wow. That's what I love about George Reeves' performance. I don't think he really cares if you figure it out. He, he makes references like, oh, I'm going to go take care of – well, I mean, Superman's going to get – you know what I mean? Like, he'll, he'll slip up and like – I don't think he cares. I think just putting the costume on is like you know a waste of time for him. I think Clark could handle this himself. And in fact, at one point, he, he does – he assists on a surgical procedure, which I don't know what Texas healthcare laws are, but apparently they were lax in 1951. <laughs> like Clark does it all. Like he doesn't really need Superman. I think he really yeah. doesn't care whether the glasses are on. And he's a an investigative reporter, and he stands up, and he's not the Kirk Allen Clark Kent. He's not the Christopher Reeve Clark Kent. And when you watch Lois and Clark, Dean Kane, he does that. Like it's uh, Clark is who he is. Superman's just this disguise he puts on. Yeah, uh, you know, there's the one bit where he comes into the room and he's everybody settled down. This is what's really going on. You know, that's something Superman would do, but no, Clark's doing it. I think he he spends more time dressed as oh, Clark easily. than Superman. There's only two right? scenes. In the film? I think two scenes where he turns into Superman, yeah. and it's it's later in the game. That's that's going to change for him a lot in the television series. Very much a leading man. He very much could have been like a leading man in the hard-boiled crime dramas of the 40s like this. He did a lot of movies. uh, But unfortunately, once he became Superman, he became typecast. But yeah, I love his Clark Kent. He's really in charge. And he doesn't put up with anything. He does not put up with anything. And when they change Lois's, when it becomes Noelle Neal in in season two and on, she is softer than Phyllis Coates. Phyllis Coates is really a hard-edged Lois Lane in this, which I love a lot. Once the TV show starts and the second season comes in and Kellogg's comes in and they're trying to sell, like you said, the merchandise to kids, it takes on a softer tone with Lois Lane. There's less violence in the series. Season one of the, of the TV series has more violence. There's death. Uh, there's different things. Uh, even in this one, man, they're just like unloading guns left and right. Uh, at one point, I think he even says, you know, <laughs> I'm taking these guns off you. You don't... You know, you don't know how to handle them. I forget. I'm trying to remember what the line was. Superman confronts the angry mob, wants them to stop. They're brandishing their guns, and Superman doesn't try to reason with them. He just yeah. takes the shotgun and bends it in half. It's a very aggressive, like, yes. all right, fine. Take very, me. very much. <laughs> I'm Superman. Let me show you. You know? Like, the Christopher Reeve Superman, he's that. I mean, he's in charge. There, there's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Dean Cain's Superman mm-hmm. is in charge. I love the Superman in this and in the television series. Again, Clark Kent doesn't take anything from anybody, and Superman certainly is not going to take anything from anybody. He takes all their guns away from them. You know, they, he says they can't be trusted with them, so he's just going to clean up the town on his own. And, and again, I don't mean to. I've said this before about the new movies, and not to jump off of this one into the, the new thing. But there's, you know, it's Superman. It's the character. That's not what's going on in the movies today. You know, that take charge kind of Superman. I mean, I can't imagine anybody being able to blow up, you know, an explosive device around George Reeves. I mean, 
You know what I mean? Like, where he's just going to stand there and look like depressed. That somebody did that. I can't imagine flood victims right. reaching out and, and him just – George Reeves just hovering above them, you know, and, and not taking care of things. I, mm-hmm. I just really – I find it a very strange interpretation of Superman that's going on now. And what we have with George Reeves is really the man of steel. If you want a Superman that's not going to take anything from anybody – it's this one. I think I would agree with you on that. As much as I love the movies, especially the first two Superman films uh, with Christopher Reeve, I'm on board with you there. I think George Reeves is an iconic Superman, and there's so much to take from that performance and his portrayal of the Man of Steel. So much to enjoy, especially in this movie. And now I want to go back and I watch. I want to watch seasons, you know, episode by episode. I want to go back and watch those, especially season one, because I love the interaction of the Clark and Lois dynamic there, and I want to see more of that George Reeves that. I am. It, it's Superman. very straightforward. It's like you know, as and again, Christopher Reeve is my Superman. He is your Superman. But you think about sure. it. It's the first one's a love story. You know, he's not knocking Lex Luthor around. He throws him at one point, but he's chasing rockets. It's a love story. Superman two, he falls in love, gives up mm-hmm. his powers. So there's all right. that. This, this is the hard-boiled crime dramas thing, you know. And like again, it's mostly gangsters and stuff you're going to see as you watch the series. It's a lot of guys unloading their guns at Superman and then throwing the empty gun at him. Yeah, no, I can't wait to see that. I want to see Superman going up against these these mob toughs, you know, and just puffing his chest out as the animated bullets bounce off his chest. I want to see that. It's that iconic look that you saw so in so many comic books of that era, and again on into the seventies. And in the early 80s where he's just standing there, barrel-chested, hands on hips, bullets flying off him, you know. That's what Superman was. You think about the Fleischer cartoons and those that, that imagery that comes up. And this is definitely it. But, yeah, George Reeves is, is an amazing Superman. I, I just think it's just such a different era back then. If, if that were today, how many actors play – you know, look at Chris Evans. He's, he's Johnny Storm. He's Captain America. There's no, You know, the typecasting starting to go away. These actors get a lot of different roles. Just a whole sure. different era back then. He was Superman. It was an iconic character. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else like it. He made appearances as Superman. You know, there's stories that some kid pulled a gun on him one time. I don't know how real that is. And he had to say, no, 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 it could go off and bullets could hurt somebody. You know, he would make personal appearances. He would go to like Hess's in, in uh, Pennsylvania and, and deliver boxes of stuff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's what this world was like back then. They yeah. showed up as the characters and people associated that with him. Even when he killed himself, it's TV Superman kills self. You know, it wasn't George Reeves. Yeah, it was a, it was a different world. I think part of it was not being as connected. Yeah. I mean, we, we knew him or they knew him as Superman, not necessarily George Reeves, the actor who did this, 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 and this. He was just Superman. We had two channels, three channels. We didn't have the internet to look up everything about the guy's life or whatever. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm up to the Beverly Washburn scene now, and it's, it's just like, well, I mean, what an amazing time we had talking with her. She was amazing. She was fun. We met her at Monster Bash a couple of years ago. You and I did the uh, the classic uh, Monster Kid Radio Comic Book Central crossover episodes. She was fun talking about that scene and just, you know, again, if you haven't seen the movie, it's, you know, these creatures, they, you know, they dig to the center of the earth and these creatures, these mole men creatures come up out. They're as confused as everybody else. You know, they don't know what's going on. There's a whole new world that just got open to them. So they're sneaking in windows and, you know, one dude, we talk pops, he has a heart attack when he sees them, drops his oranges on the floor. Uh, and Beverly Washburn is a, is a little girl. They kind of sneak in. She's playing ball with them, and then the ball becomes irradiated. <laughs> yeah. And mom comes in and loses her mind. Yeah. 
So it was back in episode 116 of Monster Kid Radio when uh, we had her on the show here. And, I mean, she's just such a sweetheart. And yeah. just so warm and welcoming to speak with. And, I mean, to see her in this film, it's just awesome. You know, it's yeah. just like, oh, I know her, you know. <laughs> yep. And she was also with uh, George Reeves in an episode of um, the Ford Television Theater, Heart of Gold. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't remember a whole lot about the movie. Again, we're going back, you know, 1951 here. But, yeah, she does remember, you know, we, we talked to her about the, you know, the creepy little mole man, <laughs> how they looked. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the mom screaming and everything. Uh, of course, she was in Star Trek. Uh, the sure. series in the deadly years but uh, yeah if you haven't had a chance to go check that out that was a fun interview that was a fun weekend it really was I need to get back to Bash someday mm-hmm. I really do that's you and me both yeah um, you want to talk about some of the other cast members here yeah why don't we do that here uh, let's see I like um, when we talk about the mole men I mean obviously they, they I think they'd originally talked about getting child actors but mm-hmm. then they went with little people and you know two of the greatest actors that we know of Billy Curtis played a mole man when you get to season five Mm-hmm. Of the Adventures of Superman, when you eventually get there, uh, the episode <laughs> Mister Zero. He's Mister Zero. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's in there. If you've seen High Plains Drifter with Clint Eastwood, uh, he played yeah. Mordecai, which is you know a great role in that. Yes, he steals scenes from Clint Eastwood. Who can do that? Billy Curtis can. <laughs> and also one of the craziest, craziest, craziest Superman-themed projects ever. When the show went off the air. They wanted to keep these things going, so producers recycled the sets, kept the same sets, but they did The Adventures of Super Pup. Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? I've heard about it. Google it, YouTube it, whatever. Um, I think if if I'm not mistaken, it's on one of the DVD box sets. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but it's, uh, it's out there. But Billy Curtis is Super Pup. You know, he is Bark Bent. A.K.A. Super <laughs> Bark Bent Super Pup. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of awesome. like, uh, what was the, uh, like, remember Banana Splits? Yes. Okay. Just imagine like that, but Superman. Okay. I guess. And in black and white. <laughs> I don't know. But it's it didn't go anywhere. It, it didn't fly. I'm looking uh, at a picture of Super Pup right now. Um, <laughs> it's Billy Curtis. Wow. Yeah. But he's, a, he's one of our mole men. And uh, Jerry Marin, as I mentioned, uh, Wizard of Oz, the Lollipop Guild. Yeah. And I believe that's him in when, when the when the townspeople <laughs> to go after the mole men in mm-hmm. their rage. I think that's him in the shed when they set it on fire. Oh, okay. I believe that's him in there. I think Billy Curtis is the one that gets shot on the uh, – spoiler, it's all around, but it's a 1951 movie, so we're good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so those – and there's a couple of other ones that are uncredited. I think it's uh, John Bambury and Johnny Roventini. Roventini? He's also sure. known as Tony Forrest, but I th- those were our mole men uh, that come up. So that's that. Um, you want to take a couple of our other great cast members in here? We talked about the big two, I mean, obviously. Yeah. I liked Pop. <laughs> I did, too. I liked Pop. Jay Farrell McDonald. I liked him a lot. Is he I like, know he's not in the movie very much, but he's great. Is he Irish? Did you get that he was Irish? I got a little bit of that. Okay. And I don't know if that was like a character choice or if that's just who he was. Mm-hmm. But I really what enjoyed I him. He just was, I want to hang out with Pop, you know? Yeah. Pop Shannon. So I guess he's Irish. Yeah, okay, yeah. He's definitely got an Irish brogue, and he likes sitting around, and he's watching the place, and he likes to eat his oranges, and they brought him his oranges. It didn't last long, though. No, he didn't. And this was one of his very last roles, actually. J. Farrell McDonald. But no, I, I really liked him. He was fun for me. The other characters, uh, what was the basically the stand, the guy who was showing him around town? What was his name? Bill Corrigan was the foreman, I believe. He kind of starts off as kind of a jerk. Mm-hmm. You know, when Clark's trying to question him about some things and he's just like, none of your business kind of thing. But, I mean, we kind of get 
why he did what he did. Um, Walter Reed played him. He becomes a more sympathetic character as the movie goes along. And that's another aspect that I love about this movie is that we talk about the morality play that comes in. It's like, well, who are the villains? You know, in sci-fi, it's not always the aliens or the creature or something that are the villains. It's sometimes right. the, the humans. And it's funny because it starts off with, you know, truth, justice in the American way. Superman fights for truth, justice in the American way. But really, the townspeople are the enemies. <laughs> right. He's really not fighting for the American way. He's not fighting no, for the, no, not at all. Salisbury, Texas way. No, you're right. A lot of these sci-fi monster movies from this era, you know, Creature being you know my favorite film, the Gilman is a sympathetic character because the humans are the ones that go and break into his turf. Right. You know, they're the ones trying to capture him. We're the bad guys. Yeah. Now, maybe he doesn't react the best way, but, you know, we're the bad guys. Yeah. Well, Superman even says that. He says, you invaded their world. They're just right. as confused as you are. They're trying to figure this out. We, we don't know. But, of course, it's that whole that sci-fi trope of the 50s of just, you know, we don't understand what's going on with it. We don't know what this is, so we it must be killed. You know, and I'm watching the scene where they, they plug one of the mole men on top of the – Superman takes off. That's a great scene, mm-hmm. you know, where he rescues the mole man and he takes him in. It's just like, you know, Superman saving them from themselves, this paranoia. And, again, we talk about the morality play coming in. Was this part of, like, the Red Scare of the 50s? I don't know, depending on what – theory you read that you know my you know was mccarthyism luke benson's the guy that you know riles the the townspeople played by jeff corey you know was he supposed to be representing mccarthy was it you know with the moment you know I've, I've i've read a little bit of that yeah i read a little bit of that online and i i don't know if i see that as much in this as i do in say some other movies from that era or even later i agree i don't see it as strongly yeah I agree. I don't know that that was the intent, but it's it's there to be read into, I suppose. Sure. It's really classic sci-fi uh, when you're coming in here. And again, you've got the the townspeople all whipped up in a frenzy, and Superman's got a kind. Of, he's he's like running six ways to Sunday here, trying to you know save the mole men. Uh, Luke Benson. He's just man. There's just like a wild west aspect to this character too, because not only is he like a gun toting, rootin' shooting. Yosemite Sam. <laughs> like he pulls a gun on the sheriff. There is a lot of that in there, and again, it's. An example of this movie bringing all these different elements in. There, there are so many different things to pull from that led into this finished product, this finished story. You've got the Wild West, because it's a small town in Texas. So, of course, you've got that little kind of Wild West thing going on. You've got the angry mob. You've got so much here. Yeah, and I think it kind of even reminded me a little bit of, and there's a connection, too, is The, uh, the Thing. You know, the, the original movie, The Thing, you know, this unknown thing. That's, right, that's, which also came out in 51. Yeah, but that's another thing that reminds me. So, yeah, these these classic early 50s sci-fi flicks uh, that come into this. And of course, the greatest hero of all time, Superman. I do dig Superman. There, there was a period there when I was buying comics on a regular basis. I always bought every issue of Superman every week you know, because he had four titles going. So I had one issue basically every week, yeah, when every month. The triangles, like it, the yes. triangles, like you knew which one, two, three, four, you knew which order to read them in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't really buy a lot of comics these days. And I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't seen the last Superman the Batman. I haven't seen that. Oh, you haven't seen it yet? Okay, well then some of the comments I made might not make sense. No, no I mean, I've read the reviews and I know. I just doesn't feel like my soups, you know? You know what I put, the the spoiler-free review that I put on the face the Comic Book Central Facebook page, I, I met because I typically don't do that because on Comic Book Central, it's all about the love. I can find right, good right. In, in all projects, you know, even the cheesy ones. Sometimes they're even fun to watch. But sometimes I think when the bar is set so high, I've talked about this with uh, with Keith Foss on the IndieCast with uh, the third Batman flick. Uh, I love you know the dark. I think the bar was set so high with the Dark Knight that when you get to the Dark mm-hmm. Knight Rises, it just 
you know, it just it did, didn't do it for me. No, I think there were so many things, places where it dragged and it just wasn't interesting. And I think the bar was set so high with the previous one. I think the bar was set so high with the Christopher Reeve films and with George Reeve's performance uh, as Superman. You know, we've got these classic Superman images and even Dean Cain, you know, just coming in. I, I love his performance as it. I just don't find what they're doing now interesting. Zack Snyder can do whatever he wants. His movie, I mean, it's close to, what, $900 million worldwide or whatever. The movies are making money. They're going to be doing the Justice League. Superman is going to be in them. I just don't find the character of Superman particularly interesting, this take of it. I just don't. I don't find anything he does interesting. And that's sad because every second of screen time in this movie, Superman and the Mole Men, I find George Reeves as Clark Kent and Superman compelling. I want to see what he's going to do. He's take charge. I want to see everything he's doing. I want to hear everything he's saying. He is a man of action. Yes. In the movies, I mean, stuff happens all around him, and he just seems to just look at it. He just seems disinterested, kind of disaffected. Or mopey. I get like a mopey vibe. I don't get like a take charge vibe. I get like stuff happens, and then maybe he does it. There's a whole subplot where he he can't reveal his powers because he's too powerful. He'll kill somebody. So he's always restrained. I think you can take that too far. You know what I mean? I think you can take that element of Superman too far where he's too restrained. And then they almost go too far with, like, completely destroying Metropolis in the first movie. <laughs> There's nothing left. Oh. <laughs> um, and that they touch upon that in the new movie, and that's kind of where it picks up and all these different things. I don't know. I just don't find the character of Superman in these new movies interesting. Not enough to make me go, oh, I want to see what he's doing next. In this movie, you go back to 1951 with a budget of like a dollar ninety-eight. But you get an actor like George Reeves, and you get a, a script that lets him do stuff, and you get into that. Especially that first season, you're going to love it. Especially that first season of The Adventures of Superman. This is the guy. This is the guy, man. This is Superman. I can't wait. I can't wait to get into him. It's that's going to be fun. It's good stuff. I'll, I'll come back to you with a report of what I thought. <laughs> could, there's a new podcast right there. The Adventures oh, no, of Superman no. podcast. Like we need uh, more, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's review by episode by episode review. There's probably somebody doing it out there. I don't even know. They're probably going to. I like, would that's hope my so. Podcast. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that? (laughs) Well, if somebody out there is doing that podcast, let me know. I'll listen to it. Yeah. I want to watch along with it. So there we go. There we go. Yeah. Um, But, you know, overall, I think the movie works. I think the character of Superman is introduced well. It did really well enough to to get sponsors and to to get the, the show launched. The show went on for six seasons. George Reeves has become iconic, unfortunately, to, you know, for him at the time, he became known as Superman. But for us, we look at it. I always thought if he had lived, I've said this a few times, if he had lived, Man, you know, like just seeing him at the Superman premiere in 78, you know, and just kind of like. How fun would that have been? Because one of the uh, actresses from that has a cameo yep. in the first Superman, right? It was one of the Lois's. Noel Neal plays Lois's mom and okay. Kirk Allen, the original Superman from the series, plays Lois's dad on the train. Oh, I didn't realize that was him. Okay. He's in there. Yeah. they uh, A little bit more extended scenes on the DVDs. You get to see some of that. Uh, of course, Phyllis Coates plays Terry Hatcher's mom on Lois and Clark. Terry Hatcher played Lois's mom on Smallville. So it's like this, like every Lois actor. So I'm sure Amy Adams eventually will have to play Lois's mom in something. <laughs> whenever, <laughs> you know, whenever, you know, some, the next director for, yeah. But Lois always like ends up playing the mom, the actress that plays Lois. So yeah, just imagine the cameos he would have had. Oh, he probably would have been the dad on the train, you know, instead of Kirk Allen, man. Who knows? 
Um, he probably would have been on Smallville or something. I mean, again, who knows? Phyllis Coates was on there. It just would have been cool. I think if he had lived, I think he would have come around to embrace that character and who have been beloved. Like we see all these other actors. You know, Jack Larson was in uh, Superman Returns with Noel Neal. They both had cameos in that. You know, the, the Superman community embraced them. They would, you know, go. Noel Neal is beloved in Metropolis, Illinois. They have a statue to her there. <laughs> you know? Oh, really? That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, you go to the Superman celebration. She's been there like a million times. I think her health isn't to the point now where she can still attend, but um, there's a statue that they had built there to her and Memorial Stadium. You know, so it's a, it's a shame what happened to him ultimately. But we do yeah. have all of these Superman stories that he's given to us and kick started it with this classic movie. I love it. I love this Yeah, film. this movie was a blast. This is one of my favorite movies that I've watched for the show this year. Oh, cool. I'll say that right now. Awesome. I know this I'm was glad a, you a strong like it. I was, worried. I, it. <laughs> I was worried about it. Oh, no. I love this stuff, man. And, and this fits right in my wheelhouse. I'm the Monster Kid guy. You know, I love my monster movies. But I still like to watch a lot of these older films from that era. They don't have to have monsters in them. I was wide open to this one, and it was just great. I had a blast. That's cool. Anytime you go back to these original Superman stuff, it's always – people are always, you know, oh, the flying scenes are cheesy or the dialogue's cheesy or it's like, hey, Lois, uh, you know, who am I? Superman? Wink, wink. You know, and it's like all that – you know, you kind of get into that, like breaking the fourth wall at the camera, that kind of stuff. So I'm never, I'm never sure like how it's going to go over with somebody just kind of coming into it. <laughs> so. Right. No, I loved it. I loved it. I'm, I'm glad we finally, after a year and a half <laughs> – it was worth it. was worth the wait. I think it was worth the wait. I definitely think so. What's going to be the next thing we do together, though? I mean, are we are we out of movies? We talked about. Well, I guess we can do a creature. You know, do a creature episode. We can again. do a creature episode. We can do. Um, yeah, I was looking at some of these. I mean, some of these movies I look at. You know, some of these old monsters. Like I realize I haven't seen them. Um, okay. You know, sometimes uh-huh. I go through and I think I've seen enough of them on TV or something, and then it's like I don't know if I've watched that proper. And there's like a bunch of them out there. So. This one was kind of cool because we get that classic Monster Kid Radio comic book right. crossover feel to it with the, with the superhero mm-hmm. and with the monsters and the creatures. I don't know what they're creatures. I don't know what they are. They're moltmen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll have to kind of put our brains together and see if there's uh, see if there's something out there uh, okay. that falls into that wheelhouse. You know, turn the tables here, bring you something over here that you've never seen, and then oh, okay. And I have some ideas. I have some ideas. That's yeah. There's enough of this that you haven't seen thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you mentioned the mole people earlier, and I know I've talked about the mole people before, but I love that movie, and I'd be happy to talk about it again. And there was a kind of sort of comic book that came from that movie. Okay, yeah, you, you've intrigued. I'm intrigued. It was kind of sort of comic magazine thing. It was done uh, fumetti style. Is that the, how you pronounce it? Where they take photos from the film, stick it into the comic book or the magazine, and put the word bubbles all over. It? Oh, kind of like those photo novel things. Yeah, yeah. John Byrne's doing that with Star Trek now. Yeah. Which is fantastic, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's based on the original photo novels from the from the 70s, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, they did that. With, oh, okay. Yeah, well, they did that with the mole people. I think maybe we just found out our next episode. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what you think of it. Like I said, I've covered it before with Scott, but uh, I can always watch a John Agar film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do want to watch this. I, I do want to watch this thing, but we'll put our brains together and see. Yeah, we'll come up with something. It'll be good. I know, and I love doing the Abbott Costello films with you. Oh, those were so fun. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure something out. We'll definitely figure something out. That's in-, in the meantime, though, I'll be listening to you at Comic Book Central every single week. You're very kind. You're very kind. <laughs> so you're the one. You're the one that's listening. Oh, come on. You and my mom, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have like three or four other people listening, right? There's a couple, maybe. <laughs> I mean, the people that you interview, they listen in, right? <laughs> uh, sometimes they do. Yeah, I actually have had some feedback. See, it's, what's interesting, some of the listeners will 
write in and, and make some suggestions on things I thought, oh, I didn't even think of that. Um, there's, there's one listener who wrote in who wanted uh, more Archie, wanted some Archie stuff. It's 75th anniversary of Archie this year. So uh, I had Ron Dante on the show, who was the original singing voice of the Archies, did Sugar Sugar, all those. Uh, Christopher Rich is coming up, depending on when this airs. Uh, so yeah, celebrating Archie. So yeah, listeners will write in and say, do this. I'm like, okay, I didn't even think about that. That, that happens all right, the time. Right on. Well, I'm excited to see what happens. I mean, Comic Book Central has been knocking it out of the park since, let's see, you're, you're coming up. You're going to be coming up on three years. You've right? had, you've had three years. Uh, belated congrats on that. Well, I congratulate you on Facebook, but, <laughs> well, <laughs> but yeah, proper yeah. <laughs> on air. Congratulations on that. Yeah, I think you launched a few months before I did. So in November. Uh, we'll be coming up on uh, the third anniversary. So, yeah, just uh, kind of build up to that. I always do like a little giveaway uh, for people to write in, tell me their favorite moments on the show. Uh, a lot of good stuff come up. Like I said, anniversaries. There's um, Green mm-hmm. Arrow 75th. There's Aquaman 75th. Doing some stuff with that. Archie 75th. Star Trek 50th. So all these different anniversaries. I try to get these themed episodes. I did a lot of Flash-themed episodes, the character of the Flash. Had people on the from the current series. Another right. one coming up uh, back in the 90s. I uh, had Jack Angel, who was the Flash on Super Friends, one of my favorites from the 70s. So so a lot of that going out there. Uh, I tried to do those themed shows, try to get like blocks of episodes. Did uh, three for Man from Atlanta. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. A lot of good surprises coming up, as I'm sure on Monster Kid Radio, all kinds of surprises coming up. I just – I love these – you know, like I said, you, you were doing this long before I was doing it. So I kind of – between you and Ed Dulles on the IndieCast, like I said, I learned at the feet of the masters, or at least at the ears or the no. audio levels of the masters. So. <laughs> you, you guys set the bar pretty high, so I just try to crank them and burn them out as much as I can. Um, I, I, I guess I appreciate that. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm saying you're old, is what I'm saying. I'm saying you're yeah, old and, and is worn that out, it? is what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, man, I've got more episodes of MKR to produce. I can't be done. I can't That's be worn great. out yet. There's a lot of classic and not so classic horror movies. Yes, out there. There's like I said, sometimes I see these lists and I'm like, I really need to watch a lot more monster movies. And Everybody thanks. needs to watch a lot more monster movies, Joe. <laughs> exactly. But world would be a better place if the uh, world you know? would, the world would be a better place if more mole men would come up out of the earth and we could be more <laughs> understanding of them and embrace their culture instead of trying to shoot them and kill them. Yeah, be more like <laughs> Superman. Yeah. I'm going to mention the website again, comicbookcentral.net is where Joe runs this weekly podcast that is just a lot of fun, very informative. I mean, episode one featured Stan Lee. He's had William Shatner. I mean, he's got the big dogs and dog heads on the show up to over 130 episodes at this point. You can't go wrong checking out Comic Book Central. You can't go wrong hanging out with Joe. I don't know what we're going to do next. We talked about the mole people a little bit. There's got to be something out there. You know what, listeners? Let's open this up. What do you think Joe and I should talk about here on Monster Kid Radio in the future? Email me, monsterkidradio at gmail.com. We'll see what happens. C-3PO. Loki. Mace Windu. Dr. Bruce Banner. Captain Rex. Venom. Princess Leia. Jean Grey. Darth Maul. Nick Fury. Grand Moff Tarkin. Captain America. Lando Calrissian. Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. 
Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana Podcast on iTunes. Because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. Fozzie Bear. Buzz Lightyear. Link Hogthrob. Doug. Janice. Merida. Pepe. Bruce. Ralph the Dog. Wally. The Disney Indiana Podcast. Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. A billion stars, a lonely ship streaks along an endless path. It's the mammoth starship Enterprise. Follow her trackless journey each week on Star Trek. William Shatner stars as Captain James Kirk, starship commander. And Leonard Nimoy stars as science officer Spock, half-earthling, half-Vulcanian. There are hazards that beset the Enterprise and its crew on board ship and on alien planets. Don't miss Star Trek in color. General Pictures imprisons you in a bloody web of terror. Spider Baby has the seductive innocence of Lolita and the savage hunger of a black widow. Spider Baby will give you nightmares forever. No man that loves her lives to love another. Her sweet kisses engulf you in a bloody web of horror. Spider Baby will thrill you, then kill you. Starring Spider Baby and Lon Chaney. the horror thrill of your life, see Spider Baby from American General Pictures. I mentioned at the top of the show we're going to do something special. I've never done this before on any of the podcasts I've been involved with. I'm going to play a repeat. I'm going to go back into the archives at Monster Kid Radio all the way back to episode 116. That is one of the episodes in which Joe Stuber and I talked about Monster Bash, and we interviewed Beverly Washburn. Now, I took the bit out about Superman and the Mole Men from that interview. I'm going to play that here in a second. Of course, if you want to hear the entire thing, go back into the archives. Episode 116. It's from July of 2014. Of course, all the Monster Bash coverage was a blast, but I'm not going to start reminiscing. Let's just get to that interview with Beverly Washburn from Monster Bash 2014. Joe asked most of the questions because he had seen the movie and I hadn't at that point. So here we go. One of my personal favorites, and obviously we're talking Comic Book Central, it's Superman and the Mole Man. Um, this is... <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I'm sorry. I'm a comic book guy. So. Now, 
what's interesting is you watch this. This is what became. This is the movie. Yeah. Uh, the two parter. Yeah. Right. But it became the pilot for the television right. series. Now, for those uh, watching this, and it's obviously on YouTube and everything, but you have an interesting role in this, and it's a very memorable role. It's not necessarily interacting with Superman, but tell our listeners where they can. Spot yeah. You. If for those of you who have, who have seen Superman in the moment, um, I'm the little girl. I'm in my bed, and I think I was about eight. Uh, or so at the time and the little mole men climb in through the window and then I see them and I you know say who are you and then we start talking and of course they can't talk but I'm talking to them you and, don't freak out there's like no. two mole men coming in your I window know. and you're like hey you want to play <laughs> ball or something what did you say what was it it's like something in the, yeah and so we're like playing like ball back and forth for this to happen right and so and then the ball lights up or something and yeah. it's like radioactive or whatever and then the mother comes in and sees me with these two little freaky mole men and and screams and Mom that was does not have the same reaction <laughs> as your dad. In fact, one time I was at a, a, an autograph show and a guy came up to my table and he happened to see the still from Superman and the Mole Man and he basically said to me, um, he goes, "You were the little girl in Superman and the Mole Man," and I said, "Yeah," and he goes, "Oh my gosh," he said, "Did they scare you?" And I said, "No, actually, you know, I thought they were really cute," and he goes. Really? They scared the crap out of me. <laughs> they scared me too. They're creepy. I know they were pretty creepy. It's amazing. Yeah, and I love the scene because then Superman comes in and say, you know, has to save the day. But I love that they had to add the line in that he's like, the, all the townspeople are freaking out, and, and George Reeves comes out and he's like, the little girl is fine. It, yeah, you don't I, see it. I, I hear mom scream. We don't know what happened to her. Like, is she dead? Or I what? know. Yeah. And what's really funny is, Chris, you know, it, that was many, many moons ago when we did this, but they've come a long way with makeup and wardrobe and all that because they were mole men. They were supposed to be all covered like in hair and you could almost see the zipper, you know, coming off the back <laughs> of their costume, yeah. you know. But, of course, nowadays everything is really high tech and stuff. Well, even but, mole men have to take bathroom breaks, right? Yeah, I mean, there you go. So. But, uh, now, did you get to work with George Reeves at all? No, not in, in not project, in that. Right. And But for me, again, you know, I was very young. I didn't know who George Reeves was, you know, because I was like eight years old. But for me, having him on the set in his Superman costume, that was my thrill because I thought he really was Superman. Were you aware of the character? Like, had you read the comic books? Yeah, I was a big fan of Superman, of course. And um, so I thought he really was Superman. And then, ironically, it was very strange. About a month or two later, I got cast in a TV show. And it was, I think it was for... Four Star Playhouse or whatever yeah. it was, and one of those you know anthology things, and it was with Edmund Gwynn and Anita Louise, and then Tommy Reddick, who you know was Jeff on um, Lassie. He and I played brother and sister, and we were supposed to be um, the children of George Reeves and Anita Louise. Well, it was very confusing to me because on the set he was dressed, you know, just as. You know, the father, he had a mustache and everything. And um, and so some of the crew were joking around and they were calling him Superman. And I didn't get that because I'm thinking, what do you mean? How could he be Superman? And he's like my dad on the show. I was like very confused. So I asked my mother, like, why are they calling him Superman? You know, because I was confused. So anyway, she, <laughs> my mother was very sweet. 
she told me that he really was Superman and that he was just play acting to be my father in this TV show. <laughs> and I bought it. I mean, I never claimed to be a bright child. But anyway, so anyway, she it was the fun. illusion alive. Yeah. So that nice. was exciting for me. because I, I know. So I thought he really was Superman. So yeah. that was cool. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio, making Monster Kid Radio part of your podcast diet. I hope we've uh, left you fulfilled and wanting more for next week. We'll get to that here in a second. Before we talk about next week, let's finish talking about this week here on Monster Kid Radio. Again, big thanks to Joe Stuber for being part of the show. It's been way too long. Remember, listeners, if you have any ideas about what Joe and I can talk about in the future together, Email me, monsterkidradio at gmail.com. That's also how you can send feedback to the show. If you have comments about this episode or any other episode of the podcast, that's how you do it. Or you can call and leave a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. We're also on Facebook. We have a Facebook page where you can send messages to the show through Facebook. We also have a Facebook group that you can join and have conversations with other Monster Kid Radio listeners between episodes or even while you listen. There are links to this from monsterkidradio.net as well. There's also a link to our new and improved Patreon page where you can support the show as a patron. Of course, there's links to every song that we've played here on the show. And that links section I mentioned, yeah, Comic Book Central is in there. So go check that out. You can also subscribe to the Monster Kid Radio Gazette from our website. Just put in your email address over on the right. Hit subscribe. Once a month, you're going to get an email from me with some bonus content, a Monster Kid tutorial, maybe a crossword puzzle or some other kind of word game involving monster movies. Something that I have a lot of fun putting together. I hope you guys and gals enjoy reading it. And I hope you enjoy what we've got cooked up for next week. Scott Morris is coming back on the show. And since we're not done talking about those apes movies, you know we're going to get into Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Now, the biggest, the newest, the most exciting of all the Planet of the Apes pictures. Climaxed by the spectacular revolt of the apes. The most awesome the most horrifying spectacle in the annals of science fiction. First pampered as pets, then abused as servants, now oppressed as slaves. of all security forces, police, militia, and reserve defense units. See that every entrance into the city is cordoned off immediately. Yes, sir. Our control methods to include the use of tear gas and sedation dunks. There will be but one control method. Shoot to kill. Ready! the screen explode as man faces ape in the ultimate revolution. There is fire, there is smoke. And in that smoke, from this day forward, my people will plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall. And that day is upon you now! 
It's coming up in seven days, so stay tuned here. Of course, Scott is one of my co-hosts over at 1951 Down Place, and he's one of the high muckety-mucks over at Disney Indiana. I played promos for both of those shows earlier in this podcast. And finally, before we wrap up, I just want to let everybody know you can hear me once a week at the Dorado Films Podcast. Go to doradofilms.libsyn.com or just look Dorado Films Podcast on Facebook. I produce that show for Dorado Films, your home for European gold from the silver screen. I do that once a week. It's a lot of fun. We've been talking about a lot of Jess Franco movies lately. I just did a recording about Island of the Doomed. I'm scheduling a recording about the movie Stigma, which is a Spanish horror movie. Of course, we got some Euro spy titles in our collection, some spaghetti westerns. Slightly different wheelhouse, slightly different set of gears than what we use here on Monster Kid Radio. Again, thank you for listening to this episode. Come back next week for some ape action with Scott Morris. Between now and then, they'll remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution. Non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Except for the song, Get Off My Helicopter. That belongs to the band Giant Robot Richard. You can find them at giantrobotrichard.bandcamp.com. It's on an EP that's $4, and I am going to get through the title this time. It's in binary. You ready? The title of the album is 01000101. Run that through a binary translator. You get EP1, so I'm guessing it's either EP or episode 1. Either way... Check them out at giantrobotrichard.bandcamp.com and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao.